three. Hi, Thelma. I, I, yet again, I'm relieved to see you. I've come a long way and I'm recording this in London and I was so worried about not getting connection. So as soon as you turned up, I felt such a weight lift off my shoulders. Lovely to see you. <laughs> Lovely to see you too, Tom. And you're in quite a posh room and looking very spruce, may I say, <laughs> with a newly trimmed beard. Is this especially for uh, going to the big city? You know, you 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 can read me so well, Thelma. I <laughs> I, I just felt like I was um, it was getting a bit wild. I grew my beard really for my other podcast, which is about hippies, as you know. And and I I wanted people when they saw me to think, oh, he is an old hippie. And I grew this beard and it just got wilder and wilder. And I be, I've started to get really self conscious about it. So I've given it a trim, and you know, I well, think you look very smart, very smart indeed. Thank you. And I- Glad to see you because I know you've just been traveling uh, this afternoon um, and so it's great that we're, we're able to uh, speak to each other and uh, I was waiting for a message uh, to see that you'd uh, you'd arrived <laughs> and you're in your, po- your posh room. <laughs> yeah well I'll tell you I, I'm not in uh, I'm, I'm staying I'm, I'm at my son's house in London and uh, I'm he I'm not allowed to use his office at the moment because there's some other stuff going on and uh, so I've, I've, I've asked them to put a special internet connection up in the attic and and it's a beautiful um beautiful attic with a ensuite and all that it's a spare room we've stayed in here before it's lovely and it's oh. got views over bits of london yeah what do you say east london it's it's got some really nice stuff yeah there, i know it i know it yes yeah i oh, will have a good week won't you, I think you yeah yeah i'm really looking forward to it thelma thank enjoy, you enjoy it yeah so it's been quite eventful in terms of politics, as always. Um, some really good stuff going on and some really ridiculous stuff going on. But, I mean, we've both, we've both just been talking before the podcast about Partygate and how boring it's all got. And you kind of, it was so predictable in the end, really, wasn't it, that he was just going to kind of blank everybody and totally get away with that. I mean, what is going to trip this guy up? I really don't know how it's all going to end. Have you got any ideas? Well, I mean, it's been said before, but I, you know, I think when he managed to get away with proroguing Parliament uh, for a month and there was no major challenge to it, we should have seen the way it was going, shouldn't we, really? That I don't, I, I, I just don't think anything's going to bring him down. I could be wrong. Um, but at the moment, the, the way I feel, I just keep thinking about all those people who've lost loved ones and what they went through. And then when they'd lost the person they loved or people they loved, to then not be able to have a proper funeral for them and all that they went through and what they must be thinking. Because I know how angry... I feel about it, but but to think what they must be thinking when this report is just out with them partying and not just not just having one or two drinks, like leaving the number ten at, at four in the morning and and the cleaners cleaning up sick and I've oh got a red wine up the walls and just just absolutely appalling behaviour at any time. <laughs> At, at, you know, the Prime Minister's residence and uh, with staff, younger staff, you know, um, and senior staff too, um, and civil servants. And it's just, it's appalling. I mean, we've been going through the shame of this government and the lack of opposition for month after month after month. And you think 
every time they can't go any lower. <laughs> and just we're here, aren't we, with this and the thousands of people who suffered uh, during that period of lockdown and losing the loved ones, as I say, and and he's still he's still at that dispatch box, and I just I just can't believe it. Um, and I just I'm wait I'm also waiting for the speaker to call him out on some of the things as well. I have to say, um, I mean, on a personal level, uh, you know, Lindsay Hall was very very kind to me when I was in Parliament, but. When I see him now, and Johnson's getting away with some of the things that he's saying and criticising Jer why Jeremy Corbyn came up, I don't know, um, yesterday, again, um, you know, slandering him. Um, and, and, and there was no intervention from the Speaker. I, I just, I, I was really disappointed at that. Um, so, so the whole thing, the Sue Gray report, which, I, you know, people, you can read, and it's just, it just disgusts me, really. Um, but as I say, my perspective has been uh, from the point of view of how do those people who've lost loved ones feel seeing this man still there at the dispatch box and still our prime minister. But he, he does seem to get away with so much. And, and then you think, you see all these betting odds for who might succeed him and you, your heart sinks even further because, it, you, just, you know... And then I look at the opposition from Bench. Oh dear I mean, me! Got, that is one big advantage he's got, Thelma, isn't it? That there is no one. I mean, he's he's absolutely terrible, but there's no one else there really that looks capable of. I mean, they've got there's a couple of kind of more sort of normal conservatives like that Tom Tuggan that guy or whatever he's called. Tuggan, um, yeah, yeah. He yeah. seems quite normal. Uh, I mean. It's funny, isn't it, when you come across a kind of normal, sort of almost honourable conservative, you you almost feel a sigh of relief these days. Uh, yeah, but sadly, I don't think they're on the front bench, are they, Tom? <laughs> no, they're not. But how does it work? I don't really know how the leadership thing goes. But uh, but when you look at the the obvious contenders, there's no one, is there? Really, they're they're and and they're all made from the same stuff. I mean, they're not as bad as Johnson, but they don't have, they don't care tuppence about the truth or integrity as such. And, uh, well, I suppose he had to have the people, the people around him that, that were willing to actually um, serve him or work with him. And um, anybody who, who sees his track record and um, that lack of, I would say, moral compass, as it were, um, that wouldn't serve, you know, wouldn't wouldn't want to be on that front bench with him. So he's obviously surrounded with the people who um, who are willing to sacrifice their own integrity, as it were, um, yeah. to actually be there. So, in my opinion, you're not going to get the best people, and I think that works on on the opposition benches as well. If it's just your career and you're willing to sacrifice your integrity, then uh, then you, you're not always going to get the people who are the, the right people for the welfare and well-being of the citizens of, of our country. Um, and I think that is the sad situation we're in at the moment. And uh, God, the wheels are really falling off, aren't they? Tom? You know, Thelma, I, 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 I'm reading that. It's a tough read, by the way, that book about um, Keir Starmer. Mm. Um, and... Oliver Eagleton. Mo moving to the right, it's called, isn't it? And um, it's a tough read. It's like a list almost of his events that he's done in his life. And 
and I'm and I'm seeing all this kind of um, duplicitous kind of behaviour from everybody there. Not everybody, but the the bit I was reading yesterday was about when they were coming up to doing the the votes with Theresa May about the leaving the you know whether they should be in the single market and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And they're all jockeying around and using all this stuff really to for their own advantage and just you know they're, they're playing how can I get the leader what have I got to say what have I got to believe what have I got to pretend and 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 you just wonder is that how politics is can it be any other way and you get people like Jeremy there who tries his damnness not to do that stuff but he almost inevitably has to get caught up in it to to be part to exist in that world yeah the whole, the whole issue of a Brexit, it was such a tough time, such a tough time. And obviously, I'm, I was a small player in all of it. Um, but on a, a person, personal capacity, I was in a seat that was more or less 50-50, remain leave. Um, I was always remain, but never for a people's vote, um, because I, I knew that would be a disaster. But I was getting abuse um, as, as the Cone Valley MP. Um, but through email, uh, through when we were out uh, canvassing or whatever, from both sides. <laughs> and you couldn't win. And to those who were in Labour that said, no, you know, we, we must respect the result of the referendum, they they probably would see somebody like me as being, uh, you know, kind of um, weak or, uh, no, you've got to stick with it. But if you were in a seat where you could see... I can't win here. <laughs> um, and I suppose Jeremy had the perspective of the whole country, um, not just London um, and the metropolitan areas, you know, the cities, et cetera, like Manchester that voted largely to remain. Um, it was, it was the, that overview um, and not being too subjective about, well, how is, it, how is our policy going to impact across the country, not just in specific cities. And I could see both sides of it, even though I was Remain, I could see both sides of it. And I think, um, try and also kind of threats from people in the PLP, if we didn't do it a certain way or whatever, if our policy wasn't this or that. And the conflict within the PLP as well, Anybody who was, and as I say, I was only a bit player, I wasn't privy to, to the private um, uh, kind of discussions and debates. Um, but where I was coming from, it was such a difficult situation. It, 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 it wasn't, uh, you couldn't win with it. Um, and, and the irony for me is we were just at that point with that good Brexit um, that was that was agreed just before the election, just before we lost the election in 19, Labour had arrived, too slowly, I believe, but had arrived at a position where it would have been a good Brexit. Yeah. Um, but, but that offering the people's vote was what did it for those um, seats where it was um, a, you know, a Brexit constituency and from, from the voting public there and those seats were lost but sit my seat was lost because <laughs> it was um it as i say it was more or less 50 50 um but it it was a very and, and people who make it a very simplistic argument of oh we should have done this or we should have done that there was far more to it than that far more to it than that the state of the plp and divided loyalties and machinations of some in the PLP. 
uh, one or two bringing forward amendments all the time so they halted you know things and it, it, oh, it was, yeah there was all sorts going on so it was it, it was it was it was a very tricky time Tom very tricky yeah it's astonishingly complicated and and when you start to look into it and talk to people such as yourself and read about what everyone was trying to jockey with all these different pressures and and all this in some cases quite uh, underhand um aims uh that they were using it for and others were trying to genuinely trying to find a way through that was as best they possibly could when yeah. truly there wasn't really a way that was possible uh and you just think politics it's it's a tough, tough game isn't it it's, it's all very well for people to stand on the side and say oh blah 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 he's useless he's useless mm. uh, you try and do it, it you know it's uh it, it's it's in, it's incred incredibly tough, and there's so many dimensions to it that make it tough, Tom. And I think uh, I think uh, control of mainstream media is is a very very difficult one. Um, I I think sponsorship from <laughs> uh, you know outside bodies um, is a, a very worrying uh, state of affairs as well. Um, I think there's a lot of elements to it. And, I, you know, my view is very much with the Northern Independence Party's uh, view is it, we need to break that control from Westminster. Um, and, you know, we, we just need, you know, written constitution. We, we, we need to change so much. Uh, we need to change the electoral system. Um, and we, that over-centralisation in Westminster for me it just all has to change um and it, it just seems such a huge job at the moment but um i do believe believe the mood of, of the public at the moment there is real rage out there um and but for me that two-party system is, is is just not working what i can see happening even at a local level is i predict they are definitely labor are definitely going to end up in a coalition with the liberals in the future i can just see it i can see the mood there and what they're building up to um and um i i think that'll be a disaster as well um so well, I think I've read something that if and when that kind of stuff happens, what it does do is give people the opportunity to see that there's nothing any different, really. It's, yeah. You know, like when when the Liberals went in partnership with the Tories, you know, 10 yeah. years or whenever it was, yeah. I, I just thought, well, that's it's better than nothing because they should at least take the edge off them. But they didn't, did they? They were terrible. And, yeah. um you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I think for democracy to work properly, it really has to be cleaned up. I, I, I think it, there must be examples in, in the world where democracy is done as best as it can be done, you know, without lobbying groups, uh, without pay, um, you know, fair, without second jobs, without, um, uh, you know, so people are coming at it with a clean slate and so they're respecting the people that, they're sta that they stand for and yeah. taking some input from those people as well you know um, yeah. 
I mean, we've got to put people in the planet first now. And um, the, what people are going through, the vast majority of people, it's quite interesting on social media this week. I, it was a genuine question on, on Twitter that I asked, because I've been mulling it over and thinking there needs to be a wider debate on this of what we mean by um, working class. And it, it set off quite a good thread you know, of discussion um, and but the overall outcome of it was was this idea that the vast majority of us, if you need to work to survive for the basics in life, you know, and even for for, you know, some of the some of the luxuries we have, then you are working class. So it's a very small percentage of the population that can live off wealth and inherited wealth and assets. Mm. Um, and I think there's this image of. Um, working class people are are, are the labourers or the people that wear the overalls and the and those times no if you if you look at well you look at job insecurity um you you look at students and massive student debt can't afford them to rent a flat you know it's it, there's so much going on there um where we've we've got to relook at, at, at that and and say we're all in it you know as a population the vast majority of people have similar issues um and and yeah there will be cultural differences there are differences in the intersection of there but i think um once we we realize that no longer it's um people piling out of the factory gates um that still may be the case for many but it's wider than that and the struggle is wider than that um, and I think it's about people coming together and saying enough, you know, um, we, we can be better than this on so many levels. And when you look at the state at number 10 um, and the opposition, um, we, can, we, can, we, we can be better. And, and I think that's what we need to do, build an alternative, um, but, but do it together and do it respectfully. Um, yeah, I mean, in one in one way, you know, you like we were saying earlier, you look at it and you think, oh my god, I can't see how we can ever sort this out. It's so awful. But in another way, it's totally unsustainable how it is. It can't go on like this. There's a yeah. huge percentage of the population now who's struggling to survive, yeah. and you, you look at the the cost of rent and mm. and the, the the impossibility of buying houses for mm. for a huge proportion of the population is it's not even a, a possibility for people um you know mm. and people are working two or three jobs it's not gonna it can't yeah. go on and no. if politicians aren't aren't gonna do something about it it's got to collapse and i'm always wary of saying that because i know i've been kind of predicting disaster well since the 60s really thinking look this plastic we can't keep doing it and here we are 50 years later still doing it uh, yeah. And then you go one thing after another, isn't it? And you think, God, we're going to come unstuck. And here we still are. And I'm yeah. still saying this can't go on. And I always, I always when I say it, I just think, oh, God, I wonder if I'm one of these people, you know, that sees disaster around every corner when actually it's perfectly OK. But it really doesn't feel perfectly OK to me. Um. No, things don't feel perfectly okay, do they? I mean, I you can just feel the mood of the country, can't you? Um, and um, something's got to give. I, th I think, uh, yeah, I, I believe there's letters going into the 1922 committee at the moment as we speak. Um, and he did look to me, Johnson, yesterday 
very fraught. Um, he tries to he tries to do the kind of uh, witty one-liner or whatever, some stupid jokes at a time like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, even his own front benchers were looking at him, weren't they? I thought yeah. in the chamber yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like rats leaving a sinking ship, though, weren't yeah. they? You know that type. <laughs> yeah. So the other the other really uh, positive thing that happened this week was me. Myrie Black, I think that's how you say her name, uh, the Scottish Nationalist Party MP. I've I've heard her speak before. She is a very, very powerful speaker. And she gave a, a fantastic speech, sadly, to a virtually empty House of Commons. But it it's all over Twitter and Facebook, and it really is good. And it's, uh, it's about the F word, what she calls the F word. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it was really good. Uh, and it really heartens me when I see these young MPs coming through who are, have so much power uh, and they, they're not scared. And that's what heartens me as well, because, you know, obviously I am scared. Uh, but to see people like her and... That speech was, I mean, I shared it widely because it, it, it one of those um, hairs on the back of the neck job, wasn't it? You know, how often do you feel that now um, with, with our politicians? Now and again, but very rarely um, with the passion that was there, the authenticity that was there, the outrage that was there that wasn't a performance because I've seen many where it's a performance mm. um, and it's and it's very it convinces some of many um, but you know it's a performance whereas with her you really felt that that the passion was there but but um, and it, it was wonderful I shared it she was right about this creeping fascism um, and you know is it me you know the kind of persecution of minorities and she she is a gay woman you know was it, could it be me that they're going for next? That quite was really there in a voice, you know? Mm. And I, I just thought she, it, it was wonderful. Okay, welcome to part two of uh, Thelma and Tom Look Left. And our guest this week is Jane Haybrook, who many of you probably know as Cremont Communard. Is that how you pronounce it? Cremont Communard. Cremont Communard. Cremont, without pronouncing the T in the the middle. Okay, I'll I'll tell you what, Thelma, I'll let you do that. (laughs) (laughs) But you've got 35,500 followers, Jane. Have I? Oh, blimey. That's That's a bit of responsibility, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, I, I didn't realise it was that many, actually. In my view, huge. Like, you know, I'm I'm just me, I'm I'm nobody special, <laughs> you know, I'm 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 nobody famous. For me, Jane, what you're famous for or well known for is your um libel case. That's oh yeah big news. Yes, it was. So, it? How, how are you feeling about that now? Um I'm glad I fought it, even though it did end up costing me a lot of money out of my own pocket and it cost a lot of money from other people as well who donated to my defence. Although what I did, I I did actually, it's quite unusual when you're a defendant in a libel case for the other side, not only to settle, but to settle by paying you money and then uh, without some kind of um, confidentiality clause, I, I, I wouldn't agree 
to a confidentiality clause because I didn't think it was right and proper that they had pursued me in the first place. Having said that, had it gone on, I would have fought on. I wasn't going to throw in the towel because there were technical points and also points of principle involved. Jane, can um, you briefly explain to us what the, the, the nub of the case? Yes, certainly. What it, what it, I mean, the, the original blog was written by a chap called Sean Lawson, um, who tweets a lot, um, who's, um, he's actually Jewish himself. Um, and it was criticizing two celebrities um, surrounding uh, what was deemed to be their behavior towards a 16 year old Corbyn supporter. Um, the blog's still there because they didn't sue him, <laughs> um, but they decided that they were going to take action against people who had retweeted or, or, or commented about it or whatever. As far as I am aware, I am the only person that they pursued for a simple retweet of it. But the bizarre thing was, when I looked, when I first got the, the letter before action, there was some delay in getting it as well, because I was away. They sent it to my work, which was a, also a bit embarrassing, but I think that might have been done to embarrass me. I don't know. But they sent it to my work and I was away on holiday and then away on something else and came back and saw this pile of paper. And I, I immediately went to Twitter and I couldn't see where I'd retweeted this. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? But also the first, in fact, the first wad of paper that we received didn't even accuse me of retweeting. It accused me of commenting about it, but the comment was in reply to somebody else's comment where I just basically said, well, if this is the case, it's bad. But if it isn't, then something else, you know, so it wasn't really libelous. Um, and, and then they later came back and said, aha, but you, here is a screenshot of you retweeting it. And I looked everywhere. And I looked uh, in the end, because I'm a very honest person, I am. I downloaded my Twitter, um, my whole Twitter file to see if I could identify where it had been retweeted. And it had been retweeted kind of just after breakfast and before I went to work one morning. But there was no indication of when I would have deleted it. Now, in my view, the most likely thing is I retweeted it and then I thought, hang on a minute, I've not read this properly and I'm off to work. I won't retweet it yet. I'll have a read of it and then come back later and then never did. So I unretweeted it there and then. But nobody can prove that. I can't prove it because Twitter wouldn't even give me that data, even though it was my account. And in order to get that data, I would have the next phase had it not settled at the point it had was for me, I, I really wanted a court order to get Twitter to tell me when that tweet had been deleted because I, I knew that, you know, I hadn't commented other than, than in reply to somebody else. So it's not like there was evidence of lots of people commenting on my tweet, but it was, it was a point of principle as well, that using Twitter and it happens more and more and more using Twitter as a means of shutting down criticism, mm. however valid or, or, or otherwise the criticism might be. Because one of the interesting things was we to get into the technicalities of it, and I'm not a libel lawyer, so I, I was learning all this from scratch as well. They have something called a meanings hearing where you have to decide what the words they are complaining about actually meant 
But secondly, whether it was an expression of opinion, and if so, then the defence of, you know, legitimate opinion, whatever, or whether it was uh, stated as if it was a matter of fact. And when we had our meanings hearing, the judge decided that what had been said in this article was a question of opinion. So what these two celebrities would have had to have done was to prove not that I held that opinion honestly, but that the person that wrote the article didn't hold that opinion honestly when he wrote that article. So it was just ridiculous. You know, they, they could not have won in those circumstances, but they still dragged it right up to the very end of... It must have been, it must have been so stressful for you, Jane. Um, it, I mean, it, I can, it was. I, I mean, I can fill it proud for you. You'll know who who recently yes. won a, a, a case. Um, and but I know that the. I mean, it was a positive outcome. But I know the stress that yes. that he was under for a prolonged period of time. Um, so it must have been dreadful for you. It, it is. I mean. Yeah. I've said this before, and it and it's true. I had a, um, as you may know, anybody who follows me knows that I'm a practicing Buddhist. I've been a practicing Buddhist for many, many years now, and um, nearly three decades, in fact, coming up to. And I had this moment where I, I had this moment of realization. I, I I went up to my Buddhist center and I just sat and I chanted solidly for about three hours to just like. I've got to have a resolution to this. And I was reminded of this writing by, by this um, 13th century priest whose teachings I follow. And um, it was basically to one of his followers who was a, sh a, sh a shogun warrior who had been threatened by his, um, his uh, master that he was going to lose all his lands if he didn't stop following this priest. And I just thought, I just had this click in my mind and I thought what's the worst thing that can happen they can't kill me they can't put me in prison okay we might lose our house we might lose everything but at the end of the day they can't kill me over it and it was it was like I just let go of that mm. fear and that mm. stress mm. and once once I let go of it I was fine I just like, right, let's get on with this. And in, in, you know, in some instances, I think they might have been surprised that it was me that was pushing things because I wanted it to, 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 to progress. I wanted it over and done with. Um, and we would have lost everything. We would have lost our hat. You know, at the time, my dad, bless him, he was renting a little place up in Scotland. He said, oh, don't worry, mum, you can come and live with us. It was just, but we would have lost everything. That we owned. Jane, did they lose anything? Um... Probably not. Because that, that whole... probably, the, probably the premiums they paid to the insurance company that were insuring them. Yeah. They had something that's called after the event insurance. And I think possibly, I, and again, I don't know the ins and outs, but possibly there came a time where their insurers said, well, you know, if you're going to go on with this, I'm going to put the premiums up. And it became less interesting for them to do it. Um, but it was uh, the... I would say there was a lot of disingenuousness around the public perception of what this libel case was about. I actually had Mike Walker from Talk Radio who accused me of being an anti-Semite one evening on Twitter. And I said, I beg your pardon. And he said, well, you're being sued by so-and-so, so that must make you an anti-Semite. And I said, actually, no, that is not what I'm being sued about. 
Um, but secondly, what you've said is libelous. So uh, I'd like you to remove that before tomorrow morning, please. And he was, yes, but yes, but I said, no, can you just please remove it by tomorrow morning? And sure enough, the next morning that, that tweet had gone. Because mm. that was what that was what everybody wanted to create it about. Mm. And it but wasn't, it it must wasn't have been. about that at all. But it's, you know, it is, it's stressful. Yeah, well, well, you're so brave and so courageous, and uh, no, really immense. Some might say stupid. <laughs> no, but what you said earlier was it was a matter of principle, and you were willing to lose material things. Uh, we've talked a lot, Tom and I, about principles and integrity, mm. and um, I'm with you on that, Jane. That yeah. that you know you can lose your material possessions, but actually losing your integrity or, or letting go of those principles is is far more important to hold on to them yeah. um so I mean, yeah I, I, I did get some money back and what I did with that um because I took I, I split it 50 50 so I split it 50 percent I gave to other crowd justice cases because about 50 percent of, of the fees that came from people that had donated money yeah. so I felt it was only fair that yes, I should get a little bit back, but then the rest of it should go to other worthy causes because I've lost that money already. It had gone. So, um, you know, well, so that's what I did with it. And it I think it's important to, to pay things forward as well. Yeah, yeah. And mentioning the, the Buddhism, I do, I do read your Buddhist thoughts of the day and sometimes <laughs> when we're all raging and <laughs> when I'm feeling that rage at the moment with what's happening with the world, I, I read your Buddhist thoughts of the day and think, yes, I'm feeling, feeling calmer now. Uh, so <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly achieve what you do with the, the, the hours of chanting, etc. But it obviously, obviously... Well, I don't do that every day, believe me. <laughs> I'm lucky if I do half an hour a day on, on a good day. And some days it's not even that. So Yeah, we, we wanted Tom and I to ask you about, I um, mean, obviously you've got the experience, the legislation that's going through Parliament at the moment and that threat to our democracy, because I know a lot of your work involves supporting, uh, well, vulnerable people and your, your, your role is... Uh, barrister on immigration cases am I right yes, immigration and asylum yes. yes um it's it's been certainly I mean even under Theresa May I would despair at the changes in legislation but under the current government it has been relentless uh, relentless attacks on human rights and civil liberties all under and all all of it is is under the, it's all hidden by all this nonsense about part. I mean, yes, I know the party business is important, and the fact that Johnson broke lockdown rules in such a disgusting way is important. But it's almost like it's all hidden behind that. And while all this every day there's another major scandal of some kind. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, they are beavering away at just changing all the laws the most pernicious is the one that they're trying to put through at the moment which is the public order bill mm -hmm. having lost in the house of lords in their last tranche of, of um, awful legislation the house of lords said no the right to protest is uh, a human right it's enshrined in in domestic law 
etc etc so we're not going to have people arrested for making a noise in the streets and so they, they instead of accepting that, that they've lost that particular battle they're back at it again and they're trying to do it again under the public order bill and they're just putting the same stuff through again and we don't have anybody to stop them no the this only, is it yeah, no, the only way you can that. stop them is once the laws are enacted, you can hope that the judiciary is strong enough to stop yeah. them and, yeah. to, and to, to, to hold them to account. But it's really, really, it's not so much a slippery slope towards authoritarianism anymore. It's hurtling down Lavender Hill on roller skates while drunk. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just yeah. bananas. The way well, Tom and, I, Tom and I were just talking about Mary Black's speech. Um, in the chamber and I know you and I both uh, shared it on on Twitter yes. and that creeping fascism this is what it's all about isn't it, it? it um, is. and uh, you know and and I, I get very tired of the people who are saying oh you're you're abusing the word fascism you don't understand what it means well you just de you define what this is then if it's not fascism because when you yeah. look at the all the elements of what is going on at the moment you know, crushing union rights, crushing civil liberties, um, employment rights, strengthening corporate power, crushing opposition. It, it is just really becoming totally like like, like a fascist state. Um, and I have no qualms of saying that. I really don't. The point I was making to Tom about uh, uh, Mary Black's speech was what an amazing speech it was. But the... That was, you know, the, the, the uplifting part of it. But the bit that, for me, is a bit of a downer is it, it was a great speech and it was authentic and genuine, I believe. But nothing changes with Westminster the way it is. You know, what, what is going to happen as a result of that? Because I, I, I could be wrong, but I didn't see it on mainstream media at all. Um, not that I watched a lot of it, but I didn't, I didn't see any coverage of that speech. I've, I've never, I've, I, to be honest, I don't pay a lot of attention to mainstream media anymore anyway. No, I didn't notice on mainstream media, no. Um, but then, you know, that's nothing new either. That's been going on for donkey's years mm. as well. Mm. You know, some of the amazing speeches that were made by Labour during um, the May years, in Parliament, mm. I'm thinking of not not just Jeremy Corbyn, but I'm thinking of mm. people like Barry Gardner and some of his speeches relating to Brexit and and, and so forth. Never saw the light of day. No. Um, they just never saw the light of day. But I also remember one year Newsnight. They said it was an accident, but when when Philip Hammond gave his budget speech, and Jeremy Corbyn responded to it. I'd watched it in the afternoon and then it came on Newsnight in the evening and they'd spliced in the speech from the year before. I thought, hang on a minute, that, that, that's Sarah, Sarah Champion sat on the front bench. She's not on the front bench anymore. And they literally spliced in his response from the year earlier and then said, oh, it was an accident. That bit of film from the previous year and, and edit it in. How could that be done accidentally? And yeah. so, you know, it really yeah. doesn't surprise me that voices of dissent just aren't heard anymore. No, no. And it's not the only time that happened, is it, Jane? Oh, no. I, I, 
or so and, and sometimes you can you can listen or watch something at maybe lunchtime or whatever and by the six o'clock and certainly by the 10 o'clock news it's a completely different news story um because yes. the editorial team seems to work on it and you think or it's disappeared you start, completely yeah yeah you start to question you you know and, and the short time I was an MP the thing mm. and I, obviously I'm a small game but I, I can remember getting very little coverage from MSM with anything I did mm. with the hospital campaign or anything bias by omission isn't it really exactly exactly I mean mm. the prime example of that and I saw that with my own eyes was when um do you remember when Jeremy had had his first debate in the leadership contest the first head-to-head debate with Boris Johnson was it I can't remember if it was at Sheffield or Manchester I can't remember thousands of people outside thousands of Corbyn supporters outside of course as they were filming them as they were going in they couldn't but they couldn't avoid filming the Corbyn supporters and the next week it or the two weeks after it was supposed to be at Southampton so Momentum arranged a huge rally at Southampton at the TV studios the afternoon before they changed the venue to Maidstone and um, so I got in the car because Maidstone's only about half an hour 40 minutes up the road from here and I finished work early that day and I thought you know what I'm just going to get in the car it was a miserable day really cold and wet and dark and horrible and I got up to Maidstone and uh, the studio, to get to the studio, you have to go through this place where there was a, this little new building, building close where there were new new houses there, just a little close. And I drove up there and there was this studio with, you know, security fences and security guards. And I was told I had to move, um, that I had no right to be in that road. And I said, well, hang on a minute, this, you know, this is a public road. And so, well, actually, this road hasn't yet been adopted by the council. So it's not, it's a private road and you've not got permission to be here. And so to avoid any footage of Jeremy Corbyn fans there to support him, they moved to a venue that was not open to the public. But not only that, the road leading to it was not open to the public. That was just okay. atrocious. And I, I said, one of the young security guards is a young black guy. And I said, they've done this because of Corbyn, because they want to keep us away, don't they? And he just went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, that was that. And so we had to stand at a roundabout about 200 yards away, in, you know, and obviously yes. there were no cameras there. Why would there be? Yeah. Um, but that's the length. That they uh, went to to avoid people seeing the support that Jeremy Corbyn had. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they're still obsessed. Oh, with yeah. them. still obsessed with them. I mean, he's he's living in so he's living in so many people's heads, rent yes. free, that he needs to declare multiple occupancy. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's what he stands for, isn't it? It's mm. not just the person; it's what he stands. It's what for. he stands for. Yeah. He yeah. let a genie out of the bottle, and that genie's not going back into the bottle anytime soon, is it? No, I don't think so. Which which brings us nicely to talk about your membership of the Breakthrough Party, Jane. Yes. Yeah, tell us about Breakthrough. Well, um, I mean, I left Labour um, towards the end of 2020. It was about the time of the ECHR report, not because of the ETHR report, but because 
um, David Evans was telling people that if they spoke about it or spoke about Jeremy being um, suspended, we would be suspended. And I was like, you know what, I've had enough of this now. Nobody's telling me to be quiet. Nice try, no cigar. And I just and I just resigned. And then I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Mm. Um, and I can't remember. It kind of came up in my mentions. And I, I was like, well, who, who are, who's Breakthrough? What's this about? And somebody said, oh, yeah, 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 so-and-so. I think they tagged Alex. And so I followed Alex. And Alex started, had a chat with me in DMs. And we, we had a quick phone call and I was just so impressed by what he was doing. So that was April of last year. So it was right back, really, when they were first starting up. So I, I said, yes, I'd love to join them. And then um, not long after that, they said, well, would I be interested on, in being on the steering committee? Um, and of course, I was delighted to be asked to do that. But at the time, I, I, we literally were just a handful of people. Um, and, and a few supporters. And then we launched our membership. I think it was the beginning of May. We launched our membership drive and got a lot more people. And over, over time, we're getting more and more people. And it's it's growing. And we've now got a national national committee. I'm one of the national committee reps for Southeast of England with Carla Gregory, who stood as our um, uh, ah, MP. We had and, Carla and on. Yeah. yeah. Carla on Amazing. She is amazing. She is. Oh, she's just incredible. I mean, at the time that she stood to be an MP for Chesham and Amersham, which was a great experience because we learned so much from that experience. It was just so immensely powerful and empowering. But at at that time, she was a single mum working full time and studying for a degree part time. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll stand to be an MP. And I was like... (laughs) wow <laughs> amazing and she, yeah. yeah she's just incredible I don't know where she gets her energy to be honest she's no like, she's got to stand again. I don't know what you think but I honestly think she's got to stand again in oh the yes future. without a doubt without a doubt mm. and I'll be there canvassing for her again she's amazing she really is but yeah mm. so um yeah we're, we're really we've got our um well, it started out being called a manifesto, but the way it's developing, it's going to be nearly a whole manifesto that's coming out um, at the beginning of next month, I think. Um, I've, I've been, yes, I've been policy lead on immigration and asylum, but also on police and justice. So I know what those policies are, although I can't really blow my trumpet about them at the moment because they're not officially released but and they're not all, as I say I was lead that doesn't mean that they were all my policies but um I was able to 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 lead people to by what we're we're planning it's just superb so I'm very excited well, well I'm, I'm really delighted that um that Breakthrough is part of the People's Alliance of the Left oh, and, me um, too. and we're working together um, yes. And because there's a by-election in in Wakefield, and uh, Northern Independence Party is standing a candidate. Yes, I know. Chris Jones, Alliance. Uh, yeah, electrician. Yeah, uh, yeah former um, army man, um, yeah. and minor's son. And uh, yeah, I I just think it's you know really really exciting, and it's just lovely for for the alliance and people who who work in the alliance to all support each other as well and that's Absolutely. you know that solidarity 
and that left coming together, which I know we're at the early stages, Jane, but I, I do feel I do feel great hope and positivity about it's about the, the type of people that are part of the alliance as well. You know, campaigners yes. and uh, former Labour councillors who've defected, and um, we've got different groups in there now, and um, yes. and. Uh, I love Alex, the leader of your breakthrough as well. He's just he's, uh, he's so inspiration. inspirational. Yes. And so committed and works yeah. so hard. I mean, he's, he's just works extraordinarily hard as well. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, yeah, I think it's great that we've got people like you with your wealth of experience as well um, that can guide and support and, and inform. And uh, so, you know, it's all, it's that strength in unity, isn't it, really? And um, I think Philip Proudfoot for and left unity as well. You know, three yes. three great, great small parties. But um, I, I think I can really see things moving. Can you, Jane? Exactly. Yeah, so. Like, you know, I, I just see, see my role really as supporting other people. Like, I, I probably yeah. will, will never, sta- I certainly won't stand to be an MP because, like, oh, you should, Jane. It's too exhausting. It's too exhausting. You should um, do it. I, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather support somebody younger than me. I don't think I've got the energy anymore to take that on. Mm. Um, I, I, and I'd rather yeah, support somebody younger who, who has the energy and needs the support. I'd rather do it that way. That, that, that's yeah. my way. You know, it's going to be their world. Yeah. And I, I feel like, to an extent, our generation have left them with such a mess to cope with that I really do feel that um, I just want to encourage young people to engage and, and, and to be helped by people of our generation. To stand up yeah, and, I think and be supportive. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, mm. I'm with you on that. I'm in that position. Having done it, I know how exhausting it is. It's amazing, uh, but it's exhausting. I mean, what I would what I would say to you, Jane, is that um, at the moment we're nurturing and supporting, and Tom's the same. We're, we're all on, on the same page with this. The next generation uh, of, of socialists and polit- future politicians. Uh, but who knows if the movement grows? I think we should also say never say never. And yes. um, we might be needed. We might be called to the front if, never <laughs> if things know. really start moving. Are you listening, Tom? I, I am listening. And I think that uh, uh, I, I, I take your point about the energy and, and the young people. Uh, I mean, they are the hope for the future, obviously. But older people do have something to offer that young people don't have, which is experience. And yes. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that all older people are wiser because patently they're not. But mm. when you find, um, you know, when I, I feel in my own life that, you know, you, your perspective changes as you get older and you can see things perhaps in a, a broader way somehow. Uh, and so I think, I mean, you can still be a, play a supportive role, but there will be older people. I mean, look, I mean, Jeremy was um, amazing and he was... Well, he must be. He's seventy-three out. today, isn't he? Yeah, it's yeah, he is. so he must have been like. Yeah. He if he's be... listening, happy birthday, Jeremy! Yeah, Indeed, happy birthday! Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> you know, there's some. Everyone's got something to offer, and and. Uh, mm. Yeah. Absolutely, I think it. I just um, think there might be a time when we're needed. You know, I think, I think now is the time for nurture them but um, and they are the hope for the future but if it's about the movement isn't it and it's yes. almost like 
you know, if we need it, we have to step up. And yeah. um, so for, for now, it's the younger generation, but maybe, you know, Tom's right. I think we can offer a lot, especially you, Jane. With oh, your Jane can, I ask you, um, can I ask you about um, uh, your, you, you, you've been a, a practicing Buddhist for about 30 years. Yeah. How long have you been into politics? <sighs> actively actively probably probably since my teens but then I had periods where I wasn't on and off I would say I became a virulent socialist when I was living in France but then everybody in France and their dog and their cat has a political opinion that they don't mind sharing at every single opportunity and I love that <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I suppose I, I cut my political teeth when I was living in France, which was um, so I moved to France in 87, uh, moved back here in 94 when I met my husband here. Um, but that's where I really began to understand socialist politics properly. And of course, those were the Mitterrand years as well. Those, uh, although those on, on the left, left, left of, of our party might, might call him a sellout. In fact, Mitterrand was a good socialist for a lot of the time. And certainly better than anything we'd had here, in my view. So that's when I started to really get a taste for it. Then when I moved back, I became more involved. Well, started studying part time. That's when I started studying for my law degree part time. And so I didn't have much time for politics then. I was a member of Labour, I think, for about three years in, in the late 90s after I moved back. But then I left in 99, basically, because I was fed up to the back teeth with Tony Blair, even by 1999. And in particular, um, his immigration bill that he was pushing through in 1994, 99. And I, I was not happy with it. And then faffed about a bit and then became involved with the Lib Dems. Mind you, that was back in, in you know, that was back in the we, days when- We can edit Dems. that bit, Jane. We'll edit Sorry? that bit. <laughs> we can edit that bit. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed I'm of it at the time. At the time, I wasn't ashamed of it because it was under Charles Kennedy. And by anybody's measure, he Charles Kennedy yeah. was further to the left than Tony Blair. And civil yeah. liberties was my big thing. Civil liberties and human yeah, rights was my big thing. And that was what the Lib Dems were all about. I even voted for Clegg in 2010 to my eternal shame. And I'm sure I'm going to go to the hell of incessant suffering after this lifetime for at least a few, <laughs> for at least a few lifetimes to pay for that. But it wasn't that <laughs> um, apparent, was it, that in 2010 it really wasn't that apparent what no. Clegg was like? No, it we really found no, out afterwards. Yes, we didn't realise. Um, and, you know, I can I can really remember, um, you know, Gordon Brown saying, I agree with Nick. I agree with Nick became a became a catchphrase, didn't it? Because he kept agreeing with the things that Nick Clegg was saying. I don't know whether he was counting on there being a hung parliament such that Labour and the Lib Dems could go in together. But as it turned out, Labour mm. were pushed to one side and the Lib Dems went in with, um, Cameron, I think the numbers didn't quite add up, did they, for Labour? Um, mm. And and then I left Lib Dems not that long after that, actually, because I got very annoyed with them after that, and then didn't know what to do for a long time. And then when Ed Miliband 
became leader. I watched what he was doing for a little while and I thought, you know what, I'm going to join as a three pounder, as they used to call them in those days. And I'll join as a supporter. And it, I can remember just that feeling of devastation walking around. I was actually at Taylor House Immigration Centre um, on the, the, the day after the general election in 2015. And just, you know, I could, colleagues had tears in their eyes and things. It was really quite a shock that Labour had not won. We were determined that Labour was going to win and, and we hadn't. And so I became more active after that and, and, and actually joined as a member after that. And then, of course, by that time, Jeremy Corbyn was was talking about putting his hand in the ring, his hat in the ring as well. And so, um, and so it happened from there. And that's when I became mega active, mainly online, <laughs> but also, um, you know, a lot more active locally as well. But. I always thought um, Ed Miliband. I always feel like when, even now, when I see him, that. Uh, it's a missed opportunity, really, because he... Yes. I don't know what you think, Thelma, about that, but it's, sometimes he comes across as a really powerful, well-meaning guy that just somehow gets led astray by, I don't know what, you know, um, focus groups or something. I don't I don't know. I, I, I quite like him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a likeable character. I think, um, I don't think he was ready when he was leader. I don't think he was ready. I see a very different person now mm. um, than, than 2015. Um, I, my concern is um, when you say, Tom, about focus groups and that he, you know, I, I feel that, you know, if you're a strong leader, then you have those principles, you have that vision for how you want society to be, and you wouldn't be influenced to well to change your mind to flip flop to go with the uh, to go with the flow, as it were, and that would worry me for any future leader. Mm. Um, and that's my concerns um, about him. But I do think he's grown, grown in confidence, and he's very different to two thousand and fifteen. He is, isn't he? Um, but again, you know. I'm just so fed up with Labour. I really am. I can't bear it in the current iteration now. I feel that it's going it's going back to it's it's got all the worst bits of new Labour without any of the benefits of new Labour now. Yeah. Because yeah. there were benefits, you know, there were there were yeah, good sides to new Labour. There were benefits under new Labour, but it's almost like that I can't mm. describe really what they are. Yeah. anymore I, I don't know yeah. what their principles are I don't know what you get their more policies cross are. Them. you get more cross with them than the Tories because I know I do, I, do sometimes, yeah. I expect the Tories to behave badly yes <laughs> I just, you it know. it's almost like you've got two children <laughs> and one has always been yeah. naughty and so you pay <laughs> you just, no attention when they're naughty yeah yeah the other one has always well, been good and it, suddenly uh, starts behaving badly they get it they get it in the neck don't they yeah, yeah. so get used to them behaving them. the way you want them to and i, I think yeah. yeah i think a lot of it is that I, I also feel that um this is going to sound melodramatic but i certainly um when i left labor i grieved yeah I, me I, too I, I, I grieved it was really it was almost um you know it was such a difficult decision to make 
and it, it was really painful and I under you know I, I every now and again I'll have a rant at my old friends and say why are you still in the party you're here um, but I understand why people do still cling on for some hope um mm. but I understand it I just don't think that they're going to get anywhere frankly. Yeah, I, I really agree. don't I think it's gone beyond the point of no return now. Um, lines mm. have been drawn in the sand, mm. and and that's that. And we're never mm. going to be. A, they're never going. You see, I still say we. They're never going to be. I'm the same. I still say we. Sometimes. They're never going to be a democratic socialist mm. party again. Um, mm. They're not democratic anymore, and they're certainly not socialist anymore. Mm. And and that that pains me. It mm. really pains me. Mm. Me too, but we have got the future. We have got the future. Um, yeah. Our alliance and you, we, we specifically with breakthrough. And but it's interesting. We'll we'll have to look um, at what goes on in France over the next few yes. weeks as well, won't we? Because that will be very excited about that. Yeah, very excited. That's, I didn't deliberately plan my holiday so I'd be there, but it just so <laughs> happens that I will be. I'm going to be going to France in a, in about ten days' time, and I'm really yeah. excited. <laughs> it's 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 within smell it's within smelling distance now having said that I, I tend to in the morning I put uh, BFM TV which is a French news channel I put it on my laptop while I'm pottering about and having my breakfast to just keep up with what's going on and just listening to the way they are denigrating uh, the new peace policies in exactly the same way that Corbyn's policies yeah. were denigrated. So, well, that's going to cost so and so billion, and that's going to cost this, and that's going to cost that, and da da da, in a smug way on, yeah. on the news channels. I'm just yeah. thinking, just let's hope, you know, let's hope that the French electorate have more common sense the way did <laughs> to see through I mean they do as I said earlier French people do tend to all have a political um, side to them and it, it's much more feisty and it's much more fists on the table and you know and then everybody has a hug and they all go home and say right see you tomorrow then bye and it's it's much more um, feisty and engaged but it's also much more convivial and and friendly I can't describe it it's the two at the same time and I'm hoping that they will see through it and they'll give Mélenchon and New Pia a chance because they really do need a proper left government again they really so do we um, they really need it but you know it's it's good to see governments in other countries swinging left yeah. Um, and, you know, Portugal's doing so well under Costa. Mm. We just need more of that. We just need more yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed, Jane, and keep battling along. The struggle continues, eh? It does. It certainly <laughs> does. Indeed. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thank you very, very much for inviting me. I feel so honoured. Oh, it's, you know, I feel like we know each other. We were saying that the other day. We feel like yeah. we know each other, even though we've never met in real life. Yeah, that's we know each right. other already, don't we? Yeah. And it's, it's that's what Great. I like about people on the left. The overwhelming majority that of people on the left that I've met, who I've known on Twitter for first and then met in real life are exactly what they say on the tin 
and yeah. there is a, you know they're the same person as yeah. you see on twitter and and that's lovely yeah you know is, there's there's yeah. no side to people they are exactly what they say they are and yeah. and that is so important in a world where so many people hide behind so many personas and, and things yeah. So, yeah yeah that's great lovely that's to meet you and you and you thank you so much jane it's been a thank pleasure. you tom it's lovely to meet you as well mm. thank you for inviting me <laughs> i should get off to my breakthrough training session now <laughs> thanks jane take care of yourself take care bye now have a lovely bye. evening bye <laughs> bye you okay so there we are thelma and tom look left episode 33 uh have you got a quote for us to finish off with thelma yeah i have tom it was great talking to jane wasn't it i really yeah, enjoyed lovely. listening to her she's a great great person yeah i'll leave you with the words of the poet and philosopher ralph waldo emerson our greatest glory is not in never failing but in rising up every time we fail solidarity mm -hmm.